Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson. Here, back with me today, is Mr. Peter Wall. Where have you been? Woo! <laughs> so excited to have me back. You've given me my full title, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, I, have, I have. I've used your whole name there for some unknown reason. <laughs> I have been uh, away for a couple of weeks, as listeners will know, uh, because I had some exciting times in my life. Uh, top of the list, of course, I went to see uh, Will Haven twice in concert, but a close second to that, uh, for the first and uh, touch wood only time in my life I got full blown married Paul you would know because you were there not only were you there but I think <laughs> as you mentioned in one of the previous episodes you actually brought a, a, a real a very real tear to my eye with uh, your contribution to the wedding ceremony so thank you for that I think although you were contributing to making me look like I was all soft in front of a room full of people so um, I don't know it swings and roundabouts I guess but uh, I'm happy to be back on this also I'd like to say the two co-hosts that have stepped in in my Instead, both did an amazing job, Paul. I mean, you would know again. Grace and Michael is the people you're looking to thank. Grace, on that one. <laughs> Grace and Michael. Oh, Michael Beddoes and yep. Grace. Second name. Williams. Sorry. Grace Sorry, Williams. Grace. I uh, <laughs> needed to put in more research. I have listened to both episodes and I thought they were excellent. And like a bit like uh, Conor McGregor, I've gone away for a while, but now I've come back to defend my throne against a series of pretenders. So it's a bit like Game of Thrones, well, isn't it? A bit well, like with, Game of Thrones, to be honest. Well, with uh, the notorious in mind, I'm probably going to put up a terrible performance today and get choked unconscious. So uh, with that in mind, Paul, let's do a podcast. <laughs> Um, Let's. Yeah, uh, first of all, well, we have to say, as we always do, that in this show we have three acts, and today we're hanging the show off a big review, Paul. What are we reviewing for our loyal listeners this week? Uh, we are reviewing the latest film from acclaimed director Steve McQueen, and this is, is pretty much all female, on, well, certainly female ensemble-led heist thriller, Widow. Oh, really? You say it's a female ensemble, Paul? It's almost though did, a yeah. good idea then that we would link our top five to that very fact. Oh, we have, Paul, because today we offer up top five female ensembles. And we're going to say in little brackets in modern cinema, just before a load of nerds email in and say, oh, why didn't you pick any 1930s ensembles? One, probably weren't any, mate. Secondly, we didn't want to. We didn't want to because we wanted to talk about modern movies. Um, after that, we're going to have time in the third act of today's show to talk about the futures of... We're limiting to the five women involved in the ensemble of the movie Widows. So without messing around any further, Paul, we always do a section prior to the three acts that's called What Have You Been Watching? And I present to you this question, Paul Anderson. What have you been watching? Well, I've been lucky enough to... Bath Film Festival is running this week, so I'm very lucky enough to be in a town that has a film festival and one that's previewing films peak quite far in advance of release so uh, the first film I want to talk about and I will keep it brief because I'm pretty sure we will certainly come back to this when it does get released I think in the 1st of January uh, this is the latest one from Yorgos Lanthimos who I believe is a show favourite unless I'm otherwise mistaken uh, and this is um, The Favourite this stars Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz uh, Olivia Coleman plays um, Queen Anne and Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz play two well two competing ladies essentially competing for the Queen's attention um, 
as it's Yorgos Lanthimos, it's quite, quite dark. It's very, very funny. The script is, I think, one of the tightest I've seen in quite some time. And the cast, all of the cast here, they're all actresses I respect enormously, uh, have never been better. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to say much more about it than that, Pete, just to, obviously, I don't want to spoil it for people because not everyone's got to see it yet, uh, just rubbing it in there. Um, but, yeah, it's absolutely superb. It doesn't disappoint. And I think, uh, given a bit more time to reflect on it, I think this might end up being my favourite it, no pun intended, Yorgos Lanthimos film. It is superb. So we shall revisit that uh, come January, I would have thought, and probably fairly fairly tight to the new year when it is out. So yeah, that's very, very good, Pete. You should uh, look forward Unfortunately, to it. Unfortunately, I, I miss most of the details that you conveyed there, Paul, because they seem to get lost in a cloud of your smugness about the fact that you've seen a movie that doesn't come out. <laughs> it, it was the way that you said, uh, I think it released in the UK on the 1st of January, and your voice audibly slowed. <laughs> Just to let that sink in with the, with the proletariat listening to this who don't have the privileges that you do but no uh, you're right you're absolutely right Yorgos Lanthimos a big uh, show favourite I think all the way back to like Alps and Dogtooth and stuff so really looking forward to that kind of jealous and gutted that I haven't seen it yet but in due course um, I'll get my teeth into it as well and then we'll we'll do a full-blown review on the show as a as a twosome um, if I haven't been ousted by a superior contributor at that at that point um, in addition to seeing films that nobody can see for months Paul have you seen anything else recently that, that sort of jumps out at you uh, I've seen another film actually that's not out until December. oh good <laughs> <laughs> oh good please tell me more about that one so um yes again i'll keep it brief um this is the film lizzie uh which is a passion project about lizzie the the i think it's sort of widely unanimously you know, agreed that lizzie borden is a real life character well she is a real life character from 1892 and the the she essentially murdered it looks very much like she murdered her very well-to-do father but didn't get uh, found guilty of it because the jury decided that a lady of her standing would not be capable of such a horrible act um, so this has been a passion project of Chloe Savinius for quite some time. I think HBO, it was originally going to be a HBO series and they pulled the plug on it for something else, unfortunately. So she has finally got it made. Um, she She's recruited director Craig McNeil, uh, who's not a director I'm particularly familiar with, if I'm entirely honest. Uh, and she co-stars in this with the very talented um, Kirsten Stewart. Um, who Kristen is Stewart, Paul. Kristen Stewart. Is it Kirsten? It's Kristen, Paul. Everyone's... I thought... I know it says Christian, but everyone seems to say Kirsten. Well, they're all so wrong. I, I, can, I can never... I can never please you with my my, uh, my names, unfortunately. Um, Kristen Stewart, uh, she co-stars with Kristen Stewart here as her maid. Um, they kind of, well, they do fall in love and essentially plot to kill her father. That's not really a spoiler if you know the historical story. Um, not as good as I'd hoped. I'll, I'll be honest. I think it's got some it's got some nice moments. It's very very beautifully shot. Um, some of the more sort of uh, overt horror scenes towards the end are very, very well done. Um, but it just feels a little bit too understated for its own good in places. It just for for material of, of kind of this juicy nature, it just feels possibly a little bit on the slow side. So it's it's decent, but not great. Um, yeah. So not as not as enthralled about that one as I was about the favourite. Yeah, I mean, I, I say this without wanting to sound like I'm hating on on uh, Chloe Sevigny because uh, she is great, and all the way back to like Brown Bunny, like I'll defend Brown Bunny, fight me. Um, but have you seen Paul the YouTube series of comedy skits that are a male comedian sort of sketch artist? I think he might be Australian doing his impersonation of uh, Chloe Sevigny. No, but I want to find it now. Oh. <laughs> It's wonderful. She's a great actress, but it is still wonderful. She she does, in each piece, she's sort of like the ultimate hipster icon. Right. Uh, and she calls herself Chloe 
seven yay. And uh, she she does things to camera like, today I have found a new snack. The snack is known as toast. And then she shows how to, to prepare toast using like a stone bake oven in your garden. Right. But um, yeah, yeah that's see, wonderful. I can see where that would be funny, yeah. Yeah. You can see, Paul, this week, as with the thing, the last couple of times I've been on this show, I don't have a lot of films to talk about. So what I do is I chip in with YouTube examples yeah, of uh, correct, comedy sketches and stuff names. like that. Or correct names. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just here as an annoyance to tell you if you do stuff wrong. Um, <laughs> you, you're doing a great job so far, sir. What else is uh, on your radar? From what else have I watched? Anyone can days. watch this one. It's on Netflix. Uh, but unfortunately, oh, I wouldn't run to see it. Uh, this is... Why can't? Why am I struggling to say this word? Malevolent. Malevolent. Um, the recently released Netflix horror starring the incredibly talented and soon to be absolutely massive star Florence Pugh. Um, this starts out as I'd say a surprisingly. I wasn't expecting much from this, I have to say, but it starts out as a pretty creepy, if generic, ghost story that actually isn't too bad. I would say Florence Pugh is is clearly the most talented out of her out of her cast. Uh, basically it's a kind of like a group of late teens early 20s who are ripping people off and pretending to be paranormal investigators and then it turns out that perhaps um, Florence Pugh's character can actually commune with the dead um, so yeah it starts out fairly well it's not nothing special um, and the atmosphere it builds is, is quite good uh, and I was just yeah this this was right and then it just dips into it Again, it's do I spoil it, do I not? I'm not going to spoil it. It just turns into another film towards the end and it takes it in a completely kind of silly direction where you're just like, I'm not buying any of this now. Um, and it just sort of unnecessarily... It doesn't go do, do, doesn't go gory enough to make the gore effective. It, it kind of loses the ghost story elements and just, yeah, it just gets a bit too silly for its own good, really. So I would say probably steer clear of that unless you really are desperate to see Florence Pugh on screen which is understandable because you know at this point after her performance of Lady Macbeth I'd quietly probably watch her drown puppies Pete oh, if I'm honest and, and so. mate like the, the listeners should be the <laughs> listeners should be made aware of the fact that if you're desperate to see Florence Pugh on screen don't watch Malevolent watch uh, Little Drummer Boy the Park Chanuk miniseries that is on BB Little Drummer Girl, sorry, that is on uh, BBC iPlayer at the moment, like available to everyone in the UK, and I'm sure distributed on other networks worldwide or whatever. But um, yeah, she's great in that, and like Alexander Skarsgård's in it, and yeah, Park Chanuk's involvement is obviously uh, paramount. So yeah, that thing's great, and I think if you want more Pew, get yourself in line for in, in line for that. Uh, over here in the UK, we're only up to episode two because they're putting them out one per week rather than dumping them all at the same time. So you'll have to sort of uh, take what you can get when you can get it. But yeah, she she's wonderful. And like you say, man, like with such an incredibly um, gifted young actress at all of about 24, 25 years old. She's yeah, going to do huge things. Totally on board with that. Um, anything else to round off? your? Yeah, there's your one more I just wanted to bring up because you I think you reviewed it on the show just before you had a break um, to do all that awesome stuff that you did. Um, this is The Hate You Give, which you kind of tick me off for not knowing what the hate you get what not knowing what thug life stood for no one um, knows no just the cool do kids now know that yeah. <laughs> yeah do now after this film so it mentions it quite a lot in this film um yeah i mean thank you pete for the recommendation because i would have def i would definitely have stayed away from this i just thought it looked a bit too teeny for its own good and it didn't i thought it was going to be like completely overwrought and just a bit 
so overdone it would be a bit silly. Um, mm. At times, it is a little bit overwrought. I have to say, I've got slight gripes with some of the, the the sort of more schmaltzy family scenes where everyone's kind of sat around slapping each other on the back, and it looks a bit like a Dolmio advert at times. Um, but that's a slight gripe with what otherwise you go in, you go in with a really damning criticism to then say that it's a good movie. It is a good movie overall. It is a good movie. I wanted to get I wanted to get the damning criticism out the way first because there are moments, and it relates to my concerns. Words is somewhat justified in an, only in a handful of scenes. But but that being said, I think it reduced me to tears about three times in the cinema. By the end, I was crying like a baby, um, and it was an incredibly powerful and very effective piece of filmmaking. And the lead performance in that film, Amanda Stenberg, I think her name is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she is just a, a force to be reckoned with here. Like another, and yeah, another star to watch for sure. But yeah, surprisingly, surprisingly powerful film about um, sort of race relations with the police, and also it's. It's not just touching on race relations with the police. It does kind of it opens your eyes a little bit. I think I, I came out and was like, I've never felt so white as when I watched that film. Um, mm. It kind of it opens your eyes to cultural appropriation. Um, and if you know, if teenagers are watching this, that's incredible. Uh, I, yeah, just mm. really, really pleasant, really, really pleasant surprise. I'll be honest, like really, really like the film. So yeah, I can't recommend I think, it highly enough, apart from those minor gripes. But um, yeah, I think the the point you make at the end is is instructive because I think that the for me anyway, the bits that do seem a little bit more um, schmaltzy, as you put it, are are there. Yes, they are there, but like they serve to make this a movie that is digestible to a number of different audiences. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. it, it felt to me like the best kind of like, um, edu- like quote unquote educational movie, like the kind of movie that you could show in a classroom to kids who are... F- 13, 14, 15 years of age and really enlighten them, I suppose, if they're not aware of these issues or give them something to uh, bounce their ideas off if some of these issues are already familiar to them. So it just did such a good job, I think, of handling the things that could have been treated yeah, in was, a way that was less There were some teenagers in uh, my screen and I've kind of overheard them talking as, as I came out and they were like, whoa, that was intense. And I was just like, mm. I was just like walking past them. I was like, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. <laughs> Yeah. Although, although, as I told you in in, in my screening that I saw, uh, the the sort of masses of Cheltenham's white middle class decided to walk out basically as the movie started when they discovered that the movie they'd gone to see as a as a uh, surprise screening, secret screening, mm. was not in fact whatever they hoped it would be, but was a film dealing with these issues. So r- rather disheartening that. But um, yeah, it's a gem, man, and I'm so glad you like it because more yeah. people should should see it. No, absolutely. Yeah. If you, if it is, I think it's still playing in certain places. So if you haven't, then do go out and find it. And yeah, don't don't be put off by the trailer or potentially its target audience because it's it can it speaks to everyone. So yeah, it's a really good film. Uh, Pete, have you watched anything this week? Have you <laughs> <laughs> barely, dude? I've watched a lot of episodes of Your Face or Mine with uh, Catherine Ryan and Jimmy Carr, but I don't think right, that okay. quite gets. We're not gets doing into we're not doing show. a podcast on Your Face or Mine. I draw the line at that. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I'll, I'll start my own podcast for that. Um, Yes, I have watched one sort of major release that I've been meaning to get to, uh, but I've watched so little recently, as you can probably understand, it's been like a really busy time in, in my life. But uh, I did catch up with the Gareth Evans movie, Apostle. I bloody uh, love that. I love director, Apostle. Director of The Raid. Um, I, I wasn't on the show where you talked about this, I don't think, Paul. No, it was weird. No. Grace, I think. So you can you can pitch back in, but like, yeah, this is this story set in 1905 of a character played by Dan Stevens who travels to this uh, remote island uh, on which there seems to be some kind of Wicker Man esque religious cult, um, and th- that cult is organised by uh, a sort of 
and uh, en- slightly enigmatic uh, cult of personality figure played by Michael Sheen, who's obviously having a lovely old time. Um, also involved in this thing, who um, is of significance? I've almost forgotten anybody else who stands out in the cast, and maybe it's because they're they're less lesser names. Am I forgetting anyone big, Paul? Uh, I don't think so. You got Michael Sheen, uh, Gareth. No, not Gareth Evans. He's the director. Michael Sheen. Lucy Lucy Boynton, I know from Lucy from Boynton was in the Queen was in Bohemian the, Rhapsody uh, as well. Oh, okay. So yeah. Anyway, that that's all to say that at the center of you've got Dan Stevens. He's like a guy that we love from from stuff like The Guest. I think he's really really talented. Uh, and yeah, what you get is him sort of trying to find out any scraps of information that he can about his sibling, his sister, who has disappeared and is believed to be on this island with this cult. And the the more that he digs into the cult, the more that the cult sort of kicks back against him. It seems that there's something big, mysterious, murky going on beneath the surface. And we don't know quite what character that's going to take until we kind of do know what character that has taken later in the movie. I think that... Um, I can't, I can't say what that is because I think it would it's a, be bit a, spoiler, a, yeah, a bit of a spoiler. Sure. But I I think that this movie for me, Paul, worked from the point of view that Gareth Evans is very canny at like things like camera placement and sort of shooting things in an interesting way. He does an awful lot of like laying the camera on its side to mimic uh, POV situations in this movie. So he'll put you in the the position um, occupied by a central character, often Dan Stevens, but not exclusively. And so I think that stuff really served to make this feel more uh, harrowing might be too strong a word, but sort of unsettling or disturbing, at least in the early going. The thing that I would say overall, though with the with apostle is i felt like it ran a little bit long um which i often say about about various things but also that once we get more explicit information about what is at the center of this cult it all to me uh sort of lost its way a little bit um and i felt like I kind of wish, and, I, and I'm probably going to say this a little bit when we get to our feature review, but like, I kind of wish that there were certain plot elements that just would be, just weren't there so that we could have um, a slightly more um, psychological and less fully realised version of what it is that's going on. But I like this movie. Um, it, it's not one that's going to stick in my memory for too long, I don't think. And I'm not sure, I can't quite put my finger on why that is. What is it, because you like this a little bit more than me, I think, Paul. What is it that stood I just out think, about I, the, I think about I like sort of the elements Apostle. that you said you kind of wished weren't there. I like those elements. I like the fact it kind of, it, it started out as one thing. And then I don't think many films do it well when they start out as one thing and turn into another. And I just thought Gareth Evans managed to, to balance this really, really well. And I like the fact, um, I like the fact that it, it, it ends up as this completely like head fuck out there horror film. Um, and I don't think we see enough of those on screen um, in all honesty. And, and, and I like the fact it just went like, it goes very supernatural, very arguably, I mean, definitely very silly uh, for sure, but I just think it, it worked for me. And I'd like, I like those films. I like, I like it when filmmakers take a risk and do something and like change up a film kind of midway through. Um, and like, whatever you think of Apostle, it takes risks <laughs> in the direction that it goes in. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for, for those of you who are uh, fans of the very final shot in the uh, Darren Aronofsky movie, Pie, ooh, you've got <laughs> yeah. a treat in store with this one. Uh, that's all I can say about that. It's it's going to, uh, not for the sort of um, 
easily uh, upset of stomach, I think, Apostle. But it is currently streaming on the Netflix platform that you might have heard of. So if you're at all interested, I would say, yeah, make your own, own mind up because Gareth Evans is, is clearly super talented in terms of like, not only the stuff I talk about, camera positioning, visual effects, but also in, like you say, Paul, weaving together elements to, to create something that is pretty unique. So it might be for you, it might not make up your own mind as I say it's on Netflix now that one is Apostle Paul we should take a little break but after we've taken this tiny tiny break we'll be back with our feature review in act one which is Widows So, yes, Widows. Widows is the latest film from acclaimed... Certainly, I think acclaimed is fair, isn't it, to say with Steve McQueen, Pete, to be perfectly honest. He, uh, from Paul <laughs> is on his fourth movie, and all of them have been almost universally acclaimed. So, yes, yes so acclaimed say, director so. seems to be fair enough. Previously, I'm possibly still working as a visual artist, which is always quite interesting when people make the jump of mediums. Um, but, yeah, so this follows on from, what, Hunger... Hunger, uh, Shame, shame 12 and 12 Years a Slave. Years a slave yes, so... Yeah, this is an interest. This was an interesting. Um, well, I couldn't. When I first saw the trailer for this, I thought this is a very interesting pick for a Steve McQueen film because previously I'd say we I was having this conversation with someone I think last night about he's a very. I would art house maybe pushing it too far, but he's this isn't the kind of thriller genre. Isn't the genre I'd normally associate with a director that's made the kind of films that Steve McQueen has. So I was quite excited about this. Um, Pete, do you want to set this one up for us before we get into it further than that? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, so you're right I mean I think on the one hand it's surprising and on the other hand it totally makes sense because Steve McQueen is this guy who's been sort of pushing boundaries and pushing the envelope of sort of blurring uh, a visual arts background with what he can do in narrative cinema from the kind of incredibly long protracted takes in um, something like Hunger to um, tracking uh, Michael Fassbender running through the streets from side on in in Shame and and that sequence with Carrie Mulligan singing a, a, a a sort of vocal her vocal performance that goes on for, for seemingly ever but camera sort of hanging on her he's a guy who's not afraid to take risks and the biggest risk for a guy who's known as a sort of um yeah a, a, an artistic if not art house film director is probably to take a completely conventional thriller narrative and turn that into something more than the sum of its parts I guess and I think that's what McQueen attempts to achieve here but to set up yeah this one is set um it's taken from Paul a TV series from uh I want to say Linda LaPlante but I don't it is Linda right. Yeah, it is. It I, is Linda I can Lepant. tell you that okay. for certainty because I walked out of this film about 20 minutes ago. So yes, definitely Linda Lepant. <laughs> okay, so taken from a television miniseries which was broadcast some years ago um, and adapted for the screen by McQueen himself alongside Gillian Flynn. Gillian Flynn, of course, being the author of Gone Girl and Sharp Objects and uh, worked on the uh, David Fincher adaptation of her own source novel. So someone who is very au fait with the um, popularist um, and here popcorn thriller uh, scene, I guess. Um, it's been supplanted, this story, into, or transplanted, I should say, into modern-day Chicago. I'm not sure about the original because I haven't seen it, but I think it was somewhere in the UK. I think um, it would have been, yeah, it was an ITV. I think it's 1983 or something it came out, so it's right. many, many years old now. Almost as old as me. Um, so I would I would imagine the UK, yes. Right, and what we get with this movie, it opens up with a couple who are in bed together, played by Viola Davis and um, uh, Liam Neeson, and and they're in some sort of post-coital passionate embrace but the camera very quickly cuts to scenes of sort of frenetic violence in what looks like a bun bungled um, heist 
situation where a van is trying to get away from the scene and being shot to pieces by the people who've just been robbed. Um, in the, the chaos that ensues, we're sort of intercutting between what seems to be present day and then going back to this event, which set up a situation in which the people who carried out this original crime, amongst them Liam Neeson's character, have all been killed in the process of, of doing what they did. Um, and the only thing remaining as a legacy of this group and their crime is a notebook that finds its way to the Viola Davis character who realises that it is going to be incumbent upon her to carry out this crime, or I, I should say the next crime that was planned by the, the criminal group, in order to make money that is owed on a debt to the the big bad who were robbed in the first instance. Um, to, to sort of give a background to that setup, the couple themselves seem to have been bereaved or suffered some fairly agonizing um, personal tragedy before the events that took place in flashback. So this all gives us a situation where a gang is going to get together, but that gang is not the original criminals. It is there, as the title may suggest, widows and with their fairly limited set of fairly unspecialized skills they need to try and do the extraordinary which is steal an awful lot of money from some awfully scary people before we talk about the film in any more detail here's a little clip our go date is in three days the night of the debate now all of our work is worth nothing if we don't move this money in fast the notebook says five million dollars that's exactly the amount of money Mulligan was accused of taking in commission kickbacks. So over here we have $2 million, 20 Tupperware boxes, each box has $100,000 in $100 bills. It weighs 44 pounds. Now over here we have $2 million, 40 Tupperware boxes, each box has $50,000 in $50 bills. It weighs 88 pounds. I feel like I'm in school. Tell me about it. We gotta start thinking like professionals. We're in business together. There's not gonna be some cozy reunion. After this job, we're done. So yeah, so yeah, I think you set it up pretty well there, to be honest. And as I said before, it was um, it was something that I was a little bit well, not dubious of. It was quite exciting for me to see a more artistic director take on uh, uh, this kind of genre piece. Um, let's start with the fact that also what's very exciting about this is the fact that we've got five women here. Um, well, four women, five, four women here uh, in this heist in the lead role of a film of a film genre that is so normally heavily dominated by men. Um, that this is great to see all these women on the screen uh, and it really really works as well I think um, led by the incredible Viola Davis who I don't think I've seen I mean she's a great actress anyway but she really really owns this film Pete I think from the start to finish that's the kind of thing I wanted to, to start on yeah really. she yeah is, I, she's a force of nature in this film she's terrifying you're right. right yeah I think it's a good jumping off point for for discussion of the performances in general Paul because Viola Davis like what it made me think of of course is the Viola Davis role in in the uh, rather abortive and disappointing Suicide Squad but um yeah in that movie as well she gets to play this kind of hard ass uh, eyes on the prize type character and she's of a similar kind here and she's the person who's really tasked with not only being involved in a heist that she has no business being involved with to begin with and, and the skills you know without the skills to actually do that but she's also got to corral this group of completely ill-fitting inexperienced women into doing what she needs them to do because she re realizes that not only is her own life and her own future in danger but all of theirs are as well so she kind of takes on this burden of responsibility and you see it in the face of, of uh, Davis character throughout the movie as she's wrestling with 
holding it down, for want of a better term, for the people in front of her and to inspire them to success. At the same time, she's breaking apart internally because she's had to go through such an agonising bereavement earlier in the movie and prior to that, a a previous agonising bereavement as well. So yeah, there's a lot going on with her character and there's a lot going on with this performance and I think that it is a real standout. But it's not the only one, of course, Paul, because we've got this, as you said, four quartet let's say yeah. of uh, women around her they are uh, namely Elizabeth Debicki um, in a role that like Elizabeth Debicki is this actress who looks like a sort of um, slender porcelain doll but in this movie she gets to play this uh, fairly tough woman who has decided that enough is enough she has this this sort of um battle axe mother played by Jackie Weaver who clearly sort of slaps her about both psychologically and actually physically and then she has lost her partner who himself it seems in in early flashbacks was domestically violent but she has to come to the realization in the movie that yeah I'm not going to take any more I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take any more and sort of stride forward with a confidence that seemed to be lost with her in the past somewhere along the run so yeah I mean that performance for you near near the equal of Viola Davis or or less so I mean I don't know what you thought I think to be honest I think all I think all the cast were were great here and I think yeah I think Elizabeth Debicki she's not an actress I'm that familiar with to be honest and it was like and it was only when we we were doing some research prior to the show I was just like oh that's who she is that's where I know her from so yeah I think she did I think she did a very good job of it and again I think something about her something about her kind of wave or elven like physical appearances I would describe it is is doesn't again is she wouldn't these like and this is what's quite very refreshing about the film is women of her stature with her attitude do exist but you never see them in hollywood films um and you do here so yeah i think it, it really worked for me and that's a testament to not only the the performance but the writing as well so yeah i think she she played against definitely played against type um in terms of the roles an actor of her stature would normally be cast in if that makes sense yeah right and and they it's the the film is is uh it, this role is a, a real opportunity i think because like you say to look at her, you don't see a lot of roles um, and a lot of characters for people who look like that that are like this. But like she, for example, is pushed by her mother into trying to earn money by offering herself as a sort of high class escort during the the plot of this thing. Um, And she takes on this kind of um, double speak where on the one hand, she has to appease the needs of this wealthy guy who obviously thinks that the world revolves around him whilst working entirely for her own agenda, which is to achieve or to gain, garner some information from the guy that will allow her to contribute to the heist. So you see all these sequences where like he thinks he's running the game. Like he thinks, I pay you money. You're happy for the life that I give you. You benefit from that. And I benefit from having like a trophy girl. You, you've touched on the on a wider the, one of the films very much wide, the wider success of the film is the fact and then you've got Michelle Rodriguez as well um, she's another one of the quartet um, she's incredible in this as well I think it's nice to see her in something that isn't kind of that isn't Fast and Furious as much as I've got some love for those films it's nice to see her in a slightly more downbeat serious role I think or, um, or Machete maybe yes yeah, absolutely um, but I think what, what the film does incredibly well and there's that so there's there's the moment you say where Elizabeth Dublicki's character is essentially running 
running rings around the man that thinks he's running rings around her. And then mm. you've got that incredible scene where Michelle Rodriguez's character uh, wants to get some information from a guy who's lost his wife, uh, whose wife has passed away. And yeah. then the way she... I won't ruin the scene, but the, basically the way women play men in this film is brilliant. And it's mm. just so it's just no, so nice to see uh men getting the the the, the just they just run rings around them like and there's a bit at the end with Daniel Kaluuya's character Daniel Kaluuya plays this plays this kind of the enforcer for the big bad basically and something happens and you think it's going one way and you're like oh no oh no uh but yeah so the the fact that these female characters run ring rounds their male counterparts is is great in this film and it's it's consistent and it's it's done so it's just done so naturally as well like you it's just so believable it doesn't it never feels forced it's just like yes this is great to yeah. see yeah, you're right. And and to sort of add on to that, I think that McQueen has this concern and I I understand fully that this comes a lot in in spades from the source material, but he has this concern with uh, economic dynamics because you've got that dynamic between the the cool high class cool girl in Debicki's character and mm. and the guy who's hiring her and the, the where the power really resides in that relationship. But then you have Rodriguez's character who has uh, what looks to be a wedding dress store, uh, which I think is sort of a perfect choice for um, the thing that is actually, it turns out, under the ownership of her previous and now deceased partner, who basically has swindled a load of money out of the business and leaves her, you know, to, to uh, pick up the pieces, essentially, and the way in which she has to have the resilience to get back on her feet from that financially sort of economically disadvantaged position. And then you have this other character, aside from Viola Davis, who is uh, played by the actress Cynthia Erivo, who was in uh, Hard Times, Bad Times at the El Royale. Bad times at the El Royale. Yeah, yeah. Bad times at the yeah. Royale, yeah. <laughs> Recently, who was like this amazing uh, soul singer in that thing. And she's back here. There's only a second film role, which is unbelievable. Second feature role. And she plays this woman who will run away from her own children at speed because she's under the financial imperative to earn money to keep a roof over their heads. And she goes out to babysit. And this is how she makes her connection with the Rodriguez character, is that she sprints to her house at the opportunity of earning a few bucks to put food in the mouths of her children so like you've got this concern with economic dynamics in the city and I think this is no better summed up Paul than what I think is the kind of bravura sequence of this movie which uh, brought to mind to me that bit in 12 Years a Slave where uh, McQueen like drops the soundtrack as we leave the um, the the plantation yeah. where the slaves have been yeah, owned and they're on the back yeah. of the truck right the scene in this thing and, and I'm sure you'll remember the one that I'm talking about is when Colin Colin Farrell, who plays this uh, very much sort of corrupt to the core, uh, heir to the corruption throne in a particular <laughs> ward of Chicago, looking to be the new uh, alderman, he uh, goes for a sort of um, public appearance where he speaks about one of the policies that is going to benefit uh, minority women of work. MWOW. Can I get an MWOW? Oh, wow. <laughs> and then uh, there's a guy there who is a, a journalist trying to ask questions and he sort of uh, bats away these questions, makes his way to his limousine and then the car that's driving him across the city, rather than filming, rather than McQueen putting the camera inside and filming what's happening, what he does is he puts the camera outside on the bonnet of the mm. car sort yeah, of on a swing arm and what we see is 
Yeah, what we see, first of all, is the car moving from the projects, which is where this speech took place, and travelling no more than half a dozen blocks across the city, and ending up in an area of unbelievable opulence, where it is that he actually resides. And all the time, at the same time, we're listening in on the conversation in the car, which is Colin Farrell's character turning from this kind of slick-tongued man of the people... Into, into, into the character that he is a complete prick. Well, yeah, into... <laughs> To sort of a cold, self-interested, self-promoting prick, and yeah. so I, I just, I just thought that it was like it reminded me of something like that movie uh, Ninety Nine Homes, of just the way that a filmmaker can take. A, a sequence that is no more than two or three minutes and encapsulates something profound about the state of inequality, socioeconomic inequality. And I think that, yeah, it's going to sit with me for a long time, that scene. Um, I've talked for a long time, Paul. Anything else in particular, before we get onto any drawbacks that you had about think, the movie, yeah, anything I, else that I we think, can raise? Well, I mean, from it? a technical standpoint, as you'd expect from McQueen, it looks incredible. The, the heist, when, when it does finally get to the heist at the end, which isn't a spoiler because you can see it in the trailer, the heist itself is fantastic. Um, it's certainly up there with one. It's certainly up there with the best action scenes of the year. I think um, it's incredibly tense, incredibly well done, and just yeah, very very well shot, and uh, it's great. Um, drawbacks, though, I think there are some. I have to say, as much as I kind of I, I wanted to come, I kind of expected to come out because of the director come out and just be absolutely blown away by this. In this, I was almost expecting like a for want of I know it's, it's annoying when people do it, but almost like a female heat. That's kind of what I was. Um, that's kind of what I was expecting. Um, and I think that there are drawbacks here, and I think it's it's not McQueen's. It's not any issue with McQueen's directing in the slightest. I think it comes down to the writing. To be honest, I think. There is the 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 middle of the film. I think there, it not that it drags. I just think it just feels a li little bit lumpy at times in the middle of the film, where there's there's a lot going on that doesn't seem to directly relate to the characters, and it almost it almost feels like you're being either artificially dragging it out to make you wait longer and longer for the heist, um, and then I, and then and I think a part of that is down to. Um, and yeah, obviously from the writer of Gonga, this makes sense. And I'm not going to spoil the twist here. There is a very, very silly twist in this, Pete. I don't know what you thought of it. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. Again, I hold my hands up. I don't know whether that twist comes from the original source material or not. But I completely agree with you, man. I It felt very... And, and don't... This, this is going to sound snide. I think Gillian Flynn is a really great pulp writer for a modern audience a wide modern audience but at the same time that doesn't mean that it's easy to swallow some of the uh, twists and turns of a Gillian Flynn plot and the way in which they sort of really strain credibility and oh, I think so that I didn't think I didn't think it was that well handled either like the way like I could just about buy it I suppose but then like the way it happens just like oh what <laughs> like do you know yeah, what I mean? I mean it, just, it, kind of, for, it wasn't subtly reintroduced. It well, just... and it's sort of at odds because you were mentioning like odd not criticising Steve McQueen and I think it's right. I think that for, for a director who seems so very deliberate and so exacting in the vision that he has for the movie um, and some of the imagery that he has in, in his movies, all of his movies, I think that when you see that, you're so familiar, aren't you, with that kind of like, oh, we're doing the reveal yeah. of the thing that happened in the twisty thriller now and now we flash back and remember the thing that you took a certain way? Well, it's actually a certain other way. And you just thought, yeah, yeah, maybe we'll get a higher level. We'll aspire to a slightly higher level of framing that thing. And I yeah, think I agree. That that or just thing... take that thing out. Even if that, even if the twist is in the original source material, just take it out. It doesn't work. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, we maybe we're in, in the minority, and maybe if this appeals, if this takes Steve McQueen to a wider audience, and it appeals to a wider audience, then more power to him and all of the people. Oh involved. no, don't get me wrong. Like, but, it's, it's, it's not. It, it doesn't. It doesn't ruin the film by any stretch. I think overall, no, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, but I mean, I'm, singing, I'm singing the film's praises for the most for, part. For sure, but, and I, I didn't yeah, yeah. misunderstand. I just, yeah. I just think if the inclusion of that element maybe widens the appeal of the movie, then yeah, maybe I, that's not okay, such a bad thing. But, from, but yeah. I'm kind of with you. I, I felt that that a little bit of the air came out of the film sort of pre-heist um, mm. and I think that that again was a shame because the first sort of hour of this movie is just perfect yeah, like there really. were there were times where I, I had and I, and I very rarely have this kind of thought come to my mind but some of it I was just just seeing it play out as like pure cinema like every little element the soundtrack the level mm. of that soundtrack the framing of the shot the, the depth of focus like there was so much to really just like revel in early on and maybe when we got to the more conventional plot elements they slightly detracted so I, I think we're basically on the same page man um, you mentioned in passing Daniel Kaluuya and like yes today we're focusing on, on actresses and the female ensembles and so on but like Daniel Kaluuya in this man like he's being terrifying isn't he absolutely like, terrifying <laughs> he's a dead eyed psychopath yeah. <laughs> like you wouldn't believe until you've seen the thing to the extent that there's that one sequence in which he gets oh, two rap, guys to do a rap <laughs> with beatbox in front of him that he then very abruptly draws an end to or the sequence in which he basically uses a disabled man as a human pincushion. Who is that? Which, I recognise uh, that actor. Which actor played the disabled is guy? He, is he the guy in American Horror Story? No. Who plays the disfigured gonna, man? Paul, right? No, I don't think it is. I recognise him from... Some, no, because the guy from American Horror Story was in Lizzie, weirdly enough, who plays the disfigured man, uh, uh, weirdly enough. Uh, who was this guy? Sorry, I'm just going to double check now. Kevin J. O'Connor is his name. And okay. where do I know him? There will be blood. The mummy. Ah, he was in Lord of Illusions, which you definitely haven't seen, Pete. No. Uh, no Clive Barker adaptation from many a moon ago. That's where I recognise him from. Sorry, listeners, right. I've dragged everyone down that rabbit hole, and no one cares. Uh, so, <laughs> widows. We're near. Are we nearly? We're nearly. We'll get back to widows. Yeah. So overall, I think it's a. I think it's a very good. It's a very good um, thriller with some great set pieces. But I think with a t- it just needed tightening up on the right end. I think it could have been a little bit better than it is, but still. It still gets a recommendation, but I think it could have been a little. Oh, bit absolutely, better. man! It gets from my side. It gets a strong recommendation. This is like a sup- this is a superior thriller. Like if you're looking for a sort of Friday or Saturday night or whatever, whenever you go to at the cinema, and you know thrillers are in any way in your wheelhouse, then like this is, I mean, this is manna from heaven. I mean, yeah, notwithstanding a couple of small criticisms uh, that Paul and I are both outlined i think when you've got an ensemble this strong you've got performances this great i mean basically because we used as a jumping off point we ended up not talking that much about how great viola davis is but she is fantastic yeah, sorry, in the movie. Yes, yeah. so so yeah like so many things i mean i haven't even got to her but um we will in the in the due course of the the countdown and stuff like that but um carrie coon um is also in this who was in gone girl funnily enough the, the gillian flynn adaptation uh and is so good in the tv series the leftovers that i talked about it for about four episodes episodes in a row back in the day so yeah it's great to see her back on screen so there's just so much to recommend widows um see it for yourself basically give steve mcqueen your money and let him make as many films as he wants i mean it is hard to comprehend a director has put out four films of the caliber of the four films that this man has produced in his short directorial career so celebrate him man yes it's not perfect so few things are perfect i really love this i really really enjoyed it right what we've got next 
<laughs> you went very quiet there. I did, yeah. No, again, no, I don't think I've summed up. I've said what I needed to say, Pete. I've said cool. what I needed to say. I liked Perfect. it. I think it was very good. Could have been better, but it's still very, very good. So see it. Certainly check it out. Or worth and, a watch, uh, as I used to say. <laughs> and with all that having been said in that case, we are going to move seamlessly into Act 2, in which we count down our top five all-female ensembles, right after this. Right, so as mentioned just before that brief, lovely piece of music that we play at least three times a week, uh, we are back with our top five uh, female ensemble films. Um, Pete, you've been off for a while. I'm going to let you go first with your number five. So this is oh, uh, contemporary, contemporary uh, for so contemporary, pretty much. I think they're all post 2000, unless I'm otherwise. I haven't seen your list, so I don't know. But contemporary, I think that's so, accurate. Yeah. yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we're, we're basically with a sort of limited time and the desire for a closer focus. We've gone for contemporary movies, but these are all. Uh, inclusive of all female ensemble casts uh, and things that I think you will agree are very, very good. So um, number five, before I blow my own trumpet too much, number five is the Neil Marshall movie that we've talked about a number of times on our show. It is The Descent from 2005. Um, What have we not said about The Descent that needs to be said now? This is a film that if you have had the pleasure slash uh, sort of harrowing experience of having witnessed it, uh, you will know is going to stick in your mind for an awfully long time but at the center of it you have this really strong all-female dynamic between a cast of actresses led by Shauna McDonald who is a bereaved woman who has well there's a link to widows here who knew uh, who has lost her husband in a terrible accident and another accident that will stick with you for a very long time uh, and it stuck with him very very deeply didn't it Paul uh, but uh, did, yes. she is attempting to put her life back together and in supporting her her friends gather for for an excursion where they're going to go essentially potholing deep into the ground uh, and what transpires is that one of the friends decides that they're not going to go to the cave they were going to go to they're going to go to another one and things don't go so well but what we get is like uh, kind of both sides of this uh, multi-directional multi-faceted female friendship or all sides I guess because you've got the the jokey interplay between the group when they're in their little uh, countryside lodge before going out on the trip that stuff doesn't pretend that women don't make crude jokes or fart or fuck about with each other in just the same way that guys do then you've got what are sort of mounting tensions in the group and historical uh the sort of ghosts of the past that are going to haunt these people when they're cut off from normal society and then you've got the capacity of these women to turn from relatively able to absolutely savage killer resilient badasses when the shit really hits the fan so like there's so much to recommend the descent as just a straight-up horror movie but there's also loads to recommend it as a, a pretty feminist work that is supportive of the idea that there's absolutely nothing wrong indeed there's a lot right with putting women on screen who are pretty fully rounded women and can do all the same shit and get into the same scrapes as as their male counterparts so yeah love the descent uh it it scared me a great deal and i've gone back to it again and again so it must be a good movie for that reason paul and i think i'm i'm i can just assume that you would you would sort of concur with that general assessment of this uh yeah maybe and we'll see what happens later on <laughs> okay. Well, that was my number five, Paul. Uh, top female ensemble. What have you got at number five? Uh, I've got um, a 
Paul Feig's Bridesmaids at number five. Um, the comedy starring, amongst others, Melissa McCarthy and Rose... What's her name? Rose Byrne? No. Rose yes. Byrne. Rose yeah. Byrne. Um, amongst others, and um, Paul Thomas Anderson's wife, who I've completely forgotten the name of now. Maya um, Rudolph. Maya Rudolph. So, yeah, amongst others. And Chris... And, um, uh, why have I forgotten all of their names, Pete? Help me out. Kristen Wig. Kristen Wig. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Is this your is your pick or mine? It's uh, my number. Yeah. It's my number four, Paul. So it's okay. Fine. Well, we can. I'll, yeah. I'll thank you. You can. You can help me out on this one. Yeah. I just think it's um again. It, it comes back to it harks back to what I think what you touched on in your talking about the descent. There is the fact that we've got an ensemble of women here getting ready for a wedding, uh, basically, and they do use and, and it's just the way they. It's just so much more natural depiction of how women react around each other, and it's it's. Not not like they've it it doesn't the way the way bridesmaids works i think it doesn't feel like they've deliberately swapped out it would be very easy just to gender switch i think in a film of this nature and it doesn't feel like they have gender switched here they've the character the, the female characters here are all quite funny in their own right i think it's probably the, the comedic best turn certainly from Melissa McCarthy and from a number of the cast members to be fair and they don't just gender switch it's very very easy to take the male tropes and put females into those tropes and they don't do that here and I think it's just nice it's nice to see that the female cast have a great deal of chemistry together and it shows that actually as Inna said as you alluded to in the Descent review is that they do get pissed together and women do muck around and they aren't just all straight laced and they aren't you know they do muck around in the same way that guys muck around and friends and they do argue and they do fight and silly things happen uh, and that happens on frequently on female I mean you've just got to look in a night out in a town centre females do go out and get pissed and have a good time as well you know it's not just a male thing and on on cinema screens for many many years this has all been reflected as almost like a a male only activity so I think what Bridesmaids does well is is definitely nails that to be perfectly honest and I think it's just refreshing to see it Um, where do you stand on it obviously well it's your number four so I assume you quite like it (laughs) yeah it, it is my Number four, yeah, um, and I think uh, did you mention as well like Ellie Kemper is in this? Oh, I forgot. Um, I didn't. I haven't from, from the office. I hadn't seen the office before I'd seen this, so I wouldn't have clocked Ellie Kemper and, as a. And Rebel Wilson, did you say? Uh, no, I didn't bring Rebel Wilson either. Thank and you. Rebel Wilson <laughs> as well. So you got like all this female talent, yeah. And I think that um, it's like the movie has uh, the ability to sort of hit and make you laugh out loud on a number of different levels because it kind of goes for very crude gross out like toilet humor um shitting in a sink pool um but all the way from there to like i love the sequence that's just about two women trying to compete to be the bridesmaid who cares the most about the bride <laughs> and stepping forward to say more and more like overblown things about how much they love and care for this person, how much it's changed their life to be with this person. So um, yeah, th- there are just a number of different levels. It attacks on a number of different levels. And I think almost to a fault, they they succeed. And um, I was just telling my wife today about the, a particular person that I met in the past. I won't uh, give them the, the time on this show, but like uh, a, a, a ex's best friend who saw this movie and I hadn't seen it at that point and her assessment was it of the movie was to make this kind of noise as if she'd eaten something disgusting and she was like oh it's that movie that everyone seems to think is funny but it's just like really stupid (laughs) and I thought that is a great encapsulation of why you're one of the worst people I've ever met because I just think that if you if you if something like Bridesmaids doesn't give you any joy 
then I just don't know really what to say to you. I just think there's so much great on display here, and I think yeah, it's, no, I, it's I, Paul Feig's best movie. It is Paul Feig's best movie, and I don't, I don't think it's a perfect movie by a long shot. I think it's, I think it's too long, uh, and I don't think all of it hits. I think it's, but for the most part, it is, it is very good. It's not perfect, but again, it's very. Easy. I know, but we've got to stop doing this thing where we assess movies by saying they're not perfect, because otherwise, it's going to take the edge off the day <laughs> that we true. actually <laughs> see a movie Find and it a... is perfect. Like it sounds a bit, it's a bit harsh. Like imagine we're writing a report card to a kid like in your class, and then you go like, yeah. Yeah, the thing is, though, he's not perfect. It's very good, no, but, but not perfect. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's doing he's doing his yeah. best. Uh, and this is definitely doing his best. And a lot of these people are doing their best work. And yeah, I think it, it's really, really good. And, and it kind of, Agreed. it stands up to sort of re-watching as well, whether, you know, sober or not so sober. I think it's it's got a lot going for it, man. Uh, Bridesmaid's really good. Um, that means you're on to number four already, right? Because I've covered five and four. It does. Um, and pretty much everything that we said about uh, my number five and your number four applies to my number four pick, which is Girls Trip, uh, directed mm. by Malcolm D. Lee. Now, this, I have to say, was my pleasant surprise of last year. It was out last year, wasn't it? It was a year before. It might even be 2016 It might be two now. years ago. Oh, Time's time flies. Time, it feels like it was only out last year, but I've got a feeling it was two years ago. Uh, and this stars Tiffany Haddish, um, who kind of steals the show here. Um, Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, Tara P. Hansen, Tara P. Hansen, and the lady that was in uh, The Hate You Give as well, um, whose name completely escapes me now, and she's one of the main cast in this, so I feel very bad about it. Um, we'll get back to that in a minute. Who else is in this? Um, but yeah, again, a, a lot of what we've said about um, Bridesmaids are certainly applies to Girls Trip, um, except that this time round it's almost almost doubly as refreshing because this is a film about black women, Pete, which definitely makes this even more empowering I th- from from my perspective anyway. Um, and not only Regina, is a celebration, you're talking about Re- Regina, Regina Hall, Hall Regina Hall. That's it. Thank you. And, and Queen not- Latifah. Yes, and not only is this like a celebration of of womanhood and female friends, this is also an unashamed celebration of blackness as well, which I really really liked about this film. Um, and it definitely took me by surprise. I didn't expect to, well, not didn't expect to like it. I just didn't think I was the the, the target audience for me. And maybe that's that's probably arrogance on my part, to be honest. And when I went to see it, it made me laugh a lot. Um, you've seen this, Pete. Well, yeah, I know you've seen this because we talked we talked about this on the show. But yeah, it sticks with me. I think it holds up on repeat viewings. Um, and again, they, again, it's all about the ensemble cast work because they have chemistry between them. Um, and certainly, the, the 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 leading ladies in this have a great deal of chemistry between them. You could actually believe they are friends. And I think that's the that's the key thing in ensemble cast, and it makes it work. And uh, yeah, girls trip. Any thoughts on your yeah, list I'll, or not on your list? Or but it's not on my list, but only because I, I ran out of space and it okay. could easily take the place of bride maids or, or one or two others on this list maybe but um yeah the thing that i would say as my sort of um takeaway for listeners from this movie is well first of all go and see it obviously if you haven't or caught up with it already i, I don't think it's streaming yet is it paul i haven't seen it streaming yet but no, but it should be, be you can be a very very exactly and the thing i would say as a sort of um a, a further gift here is look up the podcast the champs Look up the episode in which Tiffany Haddish pre-Girls Trip is interviewed and the explanation that she gives when she's challenged by the host of the show, who's a stand-up comedian. uh, She's asked, why is it that when you play your stand-up sets, you have got a reputation amongst comics for being kind of a bitch because you run the light, you stay on stage too long? And the answer that uh, Tiffany Haddish gives to that question will probably like reduce you to horrible tears, as it, I think, did me. But also will just put so much fire in your heart when you see what this woman is doing now. Like, it is... 
I, I don't want to get emotional, Paul, about something that seems so uh, such an oblique reference and so seemingly trivial. But like, if you were ever going to root for a person to get all the success they possibly could, it will be that woman. So yeah, <laughs> yeah check true. check that out if you have access to the internet um, and and you can remember the stuff that I've just said or go back and listen to it. Yeah, it, I can I can I can down. second that because you put it my way and it is yeah it's incredibly powerful. Listen, incredibly good. So, yes, very very good. Uh, number three, Pete, from you. Okay, so so going to a cele- from a celebration of blackness to a director that you could accuse of being a, a person who deals almost exclusively in in white people and uh, almost exclusively in upper middle class white people, good old Whit Stillman. This is the movie Damble- Damsels in Distress from two thousand and eleven, and the reason that I've have you seen this? Paul? I haven't. No, I've never even heard of this film, so I'm intrigued. Okay. I think I reviewed it on our show, but I maybe not because it was two thousand eleven. I guess we hadn't started at that point, so probably. Maybe I brought it up rather than reviewed it on the thing. Um, there are many reasons to be um, interested in this movie, not least that it's currently streaming, I believe, on the Netflix platforms. Get on that. Um, at front and centre is Greta Gerwig, who, um, well, hasn't exactly disappeared off the radar since 2011. It's kind of gone from strength to, you know, uh, award-winning strength. But around her, we have this cl- cast of women, Carrie uh, Macklemore. I don't think it's quite pronounced in that way, but I'm going to go with Macklemore. Uh, Magdalene Ekinwoke, Ekinwoke, uh, who I'm is I'm glad you're uh, getting tested white. by names for a change, but then I got Christian. Anna Tip. You know why it is, man? It's because these are actresses that I don't know that well. But uh, the reason why I bring the movie up is because it's just like, I don't know. You know when you say like you, see a, you saw a movie at a very particular time in your life and it had a particular impact on you? In 2011, um, as you're probably bored of hearing now, Paul, I went through undoubtedly the worst year of my life. And when I came back, uh, it was the very tail end of 2011 and the start of 2012. And one of the first movies that I remember seeing at the cinema was Damsels in Distress that I saw in Bristol rather than than here where, where I live now. And um, it it's so such a sort of satirically biting funny script i already knew wit stillman as uh, a guy for you know forgiving the pun as being very very witty um here uh, he's on just electric form it's this th- a film about like a society of women who are in a co- on a college campus who start a group um, to try to deal with and handle suicide prevention but there's so much more going on than that and that sounds like it's going to be sort of incredibly downbeat and serious and it really isn't it plays up uh, on the kind of idiocy of some of the male jock characters on camp it plays to the strengths of an actress like Greta Gerwig some of the line deliveries amazing it made me laugh out loud it made me go back and re-watch Whit Stillman movies that I'd enjoyed in the past and search out some others I yeah it's a hard pitch because it is without sounding pretentious I guess there's a barrier to entry where this movie feels relatively highbrow in terms of its comedy but if you give it the chance and if you just start to you know go with it and live in the world created by by Whit Stillman then I think this can be enjoyed by a a much wider audience than it probably already has been um so yeah check it out that one is Damsels in Distress from 2011 Paul what have you got at number three uh, mean Girls, I've got a number three, which is a film I haven't seen for some time, and I kind of tossed, t- tossed around with the idea of this being potentially Mean Girls or Clueless, but I've gone with Mean Girls in the end, um, and I just think it's kind of never been bet- never been done as well uh, as the kind of high school bitchy girls comedy as is, is, is done here, um, and it is a 
I say timely reminder. It's, it's a shame, really, because you look at Lindsay Lohan in this film, and she is great here. Um, you've got Rachel McAdams, amongst others, in this ensemble cast, um, as basically just sort of, sort of a, a, pack, a, a pack of high school bitches, I suppose would be quite a way to describe it. Um, yeah, it's just very, 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 very bitingly funny, very, very well written, and the cast performances are all really, really good. It was co-written, directed by Mark Waters, but co-written by Tina Fey, uh, who, of course, has gone on to do uh, many, many great things since. So, um, yeah, it's not a film I've seen for quite a while, so I don't have a great deal amount to say on it. Um, have you seen this, Pete? Have you seen Mean Girls? A long time ago. Yeah, a long time. I should watch it again at some stage. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard of... to know the right time to suggest to my wife that we rewatch Mean Girls. Or to be honest, <laughs> although, to be honest, she would jump at the chance, I'm sure. So I should probably. Yeah, get, it's, just, get it's one it. of those films, though, that, although I haven't, as I said, I will hold my hands up. I have not watched it for some time. It is one of those films that sticks with me and I think is, is certainly worthy of a mention on this list because it's. That's the kind of. That's. that's that's a genre that notoriously a lot of the films in that genre aren't always the best by quite a margin. It seems to be quite a quite as they're quite cheap films for studios to knock out, and they're not always particularly good. So, Mingo, the fact that Mingo is so well written and kind of very tightly directed, and the cast are great, and Lindsay Lohan's really genuinely you can you can see a lot of talent here that unfortunately has been squandered in in recent years. So, um, yeah, Mean Girls is at number three for me. So that brings me then to my number two, Paul, which is uh, a movie that we definitely did talk about on this show from 2015. This one is Mustang. Um, Mustang, which I'm led to believe is very similar in plot and form to uh, The Virgin Suicides, which is a movie that I... I can, having seen both, I can confirm Yeah, I remember you mentioning that at the time and and sort of seeing that uh, around the place. Um... That's not a movie that I've caught up with yet. Um, I, I make no bones about it. But Mustang, on its own merits, is fantastic. It's this movie from, uh, I believe, Turkish director called Denise Gamze Erguven uh, and co-written by Alice Winokur. And it tells the story of a group of girls who are kept in a fairly conservative household and not really allowed access to boys. The kind of um, constraints on their liberty have become absolutely ironclad once they are seen um, frolicking seemingly on the beach with some boys which is a situation that scandalizes their family and leads them to being on like pretty much house arrest slash total lockdown one of my favorite sequences in this movie is where uh, they they make a plan to get out of the house so that they can go to a football match but haven't thought through the fact that the football match is uh, I think the Istanbul derby and it's going to be televised and obviously there's a chance that the camera is going to settle on the women who've gone to the ground where the vast majority of people there are are male it's incredibly well handled but like the reason that's on this list in particular is because the young cast of uh, to me completely unknown actresses uh, are just all able to step up and give performances on a level like way beyond their their such limited years i mean some of these girls are sort of 11 12 13 years old and handle themselves with such a that it's it's really kind of a marvel and yeah I, I just absolutely love this I got so wrapped up in Mustang when I caught up with it and I kind of I think I saw this about a year ago maybe um, and I'd heard it talked about for sort of 18 months uh, two years before that and so it was one that had always seemed like oh, I'll get to it at some point and I'm so glad that I finally did because it's just it, it kind of a life-affirming movie and and that's an amazing thing to say about a film that is essentially about oppression that it manages to leave you with such a positive sense of the human 
spirit, not only for females, but for just human beings in general. So I couldn't really recommend it highly enough. Mustang is amazing. And that is my number two pick. Paul, what have you got at number two? Uh, I have got at number two. It's kind of it's hard fought this, but I'm going to go with number two. This is Alex Garland's Annihilation from earlier this year. Yeah, this is 2018, isn't it? Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, this came out this year. Yeah, yeah, this came out earlier this year. So this is Alex Garland Annihilation. So it's a all all female ensemble uh, sci-fi slash horror. I think is the best way to describe this. Um, originally based on a book that I'm a massive on a series of books that I'm a massive fan of. Um, this is directed, written, and directed by Alex Garland and stars uh, Natalie Portman. Um, who else have we got in this? Our fav, one of our favourites. I've got the box in front of me, so I can read the cast directly off of it, and it's still not here. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, uh, Tessa, Tessa Thompson, Thompson. Amongst, yeah, Tessa Thompson. <laughs> Tessa Thompson's in this as well, um, amongst uh, others. Uh, and basically, they are sent in to um, the Shimmer, as it were, which is kind of an, a weird um, anomaly that has appeared where things are not as they should be, um, and they send an all-female team of scientists um, to try and work out what's going on. Um, yeah, and it's just, for me, um, It's prob- I, think, I think at some point it was on my top certainly I'd be very surprised if this isn't on my top films of the year list at the end of the year um, and it's just refreshing to see again a genre piece done with an all-female ensemble and it kind of not be fussed about if that makes sense so they haven't they haven't made a big thing about the fact you've got an all-female ensemble here they've just gone ahead and done it um, and written the characters as well-rounded characters and again not a big thing for me is not just um, gender switching because that's just lazy um, and they don't do that here um, and I think weirdly enough I think Alex Garland was actually accused of whitewashing um one of these characters here uh but he hadn't read the second book in which that person's racial that person's racial origin was revealed so uh oh, how convenient but yeah it's just <laughs> yes <laughs> um he get no i think it's just I, for me it's an incredibly tense um experience of a film and it's very very otherworldly it's very it's a very very creepy film and i like the fact that you've got a, an all female cast here and that, that they just haven't made a big deal about it um i think there are scientific reasons there are the sort of plot device reasons as to why they send an all female group in i may be confusing the film with the book now i haven't seen the film for a few months and i have read the book I think there may be scientific reasons, plot reasons, as to why they send an all-female group in. But in terms of the film, it doesn't feel like it's a token female cast. It just feels like they've built a cast with talented actresses and put them into this sci-fi film, which, again, would normally be the domain of a mostly male cast. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great job of doing it, of, of, of improving representation sort of tenfold, but doing it in a subtle way where you don't feel like it's round yeah, down your and, throat. Yeah, and I mean... So, yeah, I think Annihilation does it really, really well. When it's a movie, and I presume source material, that's so concerned with um, sort of environmental change and Mother Earth and being in touch with uh, the development of the planet, it seems logical that the people will be touching on those issues and deal with dealing with those things are perhaps and arguably the gender that might be a little bit more in touch with you know the the earth and rather than sort of macho chest beating sort of destruction um and it might be an well i mean the flip side of this is that they, they could have put together like a group of marines like predator-esque yeah. group of marines which would have completely flipped the film on its ass so yeah, yeah. get stallone in we could call it the annihilators and then uh, it can just be a, yeah. you know one last job <laughs> call them all call them all back in give them bigger guns but yeah no annihilation um I, we talked about it on the show we'll talk about it at the end of the year list um tessa thompson's in it paul that's all i need but um yeah it's very very good and also it's got like the most probably the most sort of jaw-dropping ending of any movie this year so um yeah check that out for 100 for percent sure uh my number one paul can you guess what it is 
No, I've been trying to guess, and I'm no, I'm, oh, I'm not going to be, be so unsurprised when I, I finally uh, pull the the, the uh, sheet off of this particular monument. Uh, released on the third of March, twenty seventeen, in the UK, my number one all female ensemble cast movie is Certain Women from director Kelly Reichardt, starring. Uh, starring okay. Paul, yeah. you know, what, what like it, it's actually a little bit um, obscene the uh, the ensemble that we have at the centre of this thing. So uh, these people are Kristen Stewart and Michelle Williams and Laura Dern. Uh, I didn't know what to do with myself when I. Reasonably yeah, talented when cast I there, heard I that this was in the pipeline, so we're going back. I don't even know, like three, four years now. Before they were, when there were first murmurings that Kelly Reichardt had this project in the works, you've got this female director who is one of the most sort of singular talents and with such a sort of unique aesthetic working today, and then you've got three of, if not the top three, but definitely three of my very favourite actresses uh, currently employed in the industry and. I mean, what's so great about certain women is all of it, but it's this film that, like a lot of Reichardt's work, is seemingly fairly, like, innocuous, and it doesn't really announce itself with any grandeur, apart from what she does visually in terms of, like, vistas and landscapes. The stories that interconnect these women are relatively small. They might seem trivial at a a macro level, but at a micro level, they are entirely life-changing to the real people that are depicted here or or the, the sense of real people that you get from these performances. And so, yeah, you've got things like um, Kristen Stewart's character, who is this, um, she's like moonlighting as a tutor of night classes where she meets a native... Uh, girl who has a clear attraction to her which leads to a sequence that's just achingly romantic where they just ride on the back of a horse and like so much is not said and not done between the two of them uh then uh the girl in question drives i think or maybe rides her horse. She travels for like hours to go and make what what she <laughs> wants to seem like an accidental visit to the place where Kristen Stewart actually lives and where she travels from every time she goes to teach these classes. You've got Laura Dern on fantastic form. She's like owns this stable and is dealing with the the issues that surround her her, her financial status. You've got Michelle Williams who is dealing with the issues in her relationship and uh, the p- purchase order that she has on some of the land that's owned by Laura Dern's character like as I say the stories that interconnect them seem innocuous seem quite small the performances in the movie are absolutely towering and it it would be impossible for me to do I've not seen this so I need to to yeah it'd be impossible for me to do this particular list without at least including this movie and when I came to think of it I think it kind of stood head and shoulders for me at, at the top of the list at least when we're talking contemporary stuff so yeah my number one pick is Certain Women from Kelly Reichardt from 2016 check it out y'all Paul what's your number one uh, the Descent, directed oh, by Neil Marshall, the same which you've talked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically the same movie, exactly. Uh, no, I mean, what more to say on it than you already covered? Not a lot, really. Um, I just, I just think it's, and I think it, it now watching the Descent again now, it really feels like completely ahead of its time in in what it was doing um, in an all female led horror film and. Again, for me, a lot of it is is not about is not about sort of stunt casting and all female ensemble, which they definitely haven't done here. It's doing it properly uh, and 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 playing on and 
and playing on like the w- women's characters and that kind of thing. And I think the descent does that incredibly well. Uh, not only that, but it is one of the most. I'd say I think it it was on my top five contemporary horror films on, a, on an episode you went on. Uh, but it's just an incredible horror film as well. And I think a lot of that boils down to the performance, the performances of the cast, the fact that they, the way they turn on each other, the way they're originally quite, the way they're originally very, very friendly, and the way their 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 relationships break down. The cast is incredible, and so I would say mostly unknowns i mean sean is it sean mcdonald i think we sean mcdonald um and again some other actresses that i haven't seen in much else apart from this to be honest i think they, they kind of a few people a few faces pop up from time to time but considering that they're, they're not very well known i think the performances are great and really really sell the film um not only that but neil marshall's direction is so tight in this film um and the fact that i think i talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago is the fact that you genuinely you tried to shoot everything by like the light that would have been in the cave so they had very minimal light to shoot in uh they if you look on the special features of the film they shot in um fiberglass or polis or fiberglass caves um that just looked so so intense and the just the look of the film and the like the darkness and the way they're struggling through the darkness is just incredible and again it's just i'll repeat myself it's not stunt casting it, it works that it's an ensemble cast of women and it still feels fresh when we watched it quite recently it still felt quite fresh today um that it just feels ahead of its time which is bizarre considering not many other films have sort of chosen to do this really so yeah neil marshall's the descent um, and it gives horror a bit of love as well which i always like so yeah neil marshall's descent my number nice one. i think from both sides paul if i dare say so that they're pretty solid lists and they're the kind of movies that people should go and hunt out as soon as possible if you haven't i mean i don't i don't want to underestimate our audience paul i'm sure our audience are um very much the kind of people who've seen all those things already but if they have not or if any of you have not then yeah look them up as quickly as you possibly can um we will be back then in just a moment with the third act of our show in which we're going to discuss further what is in the future of the ensemble the female ensemble pool at the center of our review film from today widows that's right after this So you've watched Widows and you want to know what the cast is doing next, do you? Well, we're here to tell you, aren't we, Pete? Of course you do. Of course you do, because you are a hardcore film fan and that's why you've come here to The Strangers to let you know uh, where you should go in the future, which direction to take and who to follow. And the people to follow here, Paul, are, of course, the ensemble from Widows. Um, How do you want to do this? Should we go through sort of Viola Davis onwards? Because that seems to be the person that we've put at the... well, let's start with Verda Davis because she's probably she's probably queen of the queen of the cast, shall we say here? I think, uh, and I don't think anyone would argue that she's definitely the headline performance. I think of the ensemble. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, well would, can I give yeah. you a right little thigh rubber to begin with, Paul? Uh, it, it actually <laughs> ties in Viola Davis and Cynthia Aviro, who of course has a supporting, although very important, significant role in Widows. Because would you believe it? Cynthia Aviro has in her future a movie called Harriet, which tells the story of civil rights pioneer pioneer Harriet Tubman. This one directed by Cassie Lemons or Cassie Lemons, I don't know. But then at the same time, or in similar uh, in a similar span of time, Viola Davis is in another movie that is known only as Untitled Harriet Tubman Project. Uh, this time directed by Kirk Ellis. So both women from our ensemble are in separate movies about Harriet Tubman and they are both playing the role of Harriet Tubman. So they're literally going toe-to-toe 
I don't think they'll be in the same film together again, will they? Yeah, that's get, I mean, that's, could, that it could, could get... be interesting, man. It's interesting to see that that's played out in the way that it has. Apart from that, do you have any Viola Davis deets? Uh, no. Have you got I've any got... more? It's the one person I haven't... This, I was relying on you I've for this bit. I've got one. So, well, this bit well, of this bit. Well, I'll, I'll try not to disappoint. I've got one, which is um, a, a movie directed by a pair called Bert and Bertie. And I feel like an idiot, but I don't know anything about Bert... And Bertie. No second names, Paul. Just Bert and Bertie. I've never Bert, heard of Bert and Bertie. Bert and Bertie, either, unless they are just made up by a little jokester who's got access to the, the back end of IMDb, have made a movie or are making a movie that is a comedy family drama called Troop Zero. And it is going to co-star um, McKenna Grace, Viola Davis and Alison Janney. Um, details okay. fairly scant. Also in this cast, Mike Epps, Jim Gaffigan... Um, a few interesting people besides the the main players. So, yeah, this one currently has no uh, release date published. And it also says plot details are being kept under wraps. But, like, cast alone, that looks like something worth keeping an eye on, I would say. And aside from that, Paul, I think Viola Davis projects are fairly thin on the ground in terms of where we have enough details to make it worth discussing. Yeah, to actually talk I about it. I mentioned yeah. before uh, Cynthia Iviro, as I am going to do many times, I would imagine, in the coming months, because she is just fantastic. Um, in terms of her upcoming stuff, we've got this uh, Harriet Tubman thing called Harriet, which is due out in twenty. 19 in that um we have anyone else oh my man we've got uh also Jan i meant you by the way not this person uh, i was gonna say yeah I was gonna janelle say. <laughs> janelle <laughs> monet is uh also gonna be in in harriet with uh cynthia arrivo so there is a lot of uh like badass uh female energy going on there and then we also have a couple of others the one that i well, we mentioned a, off mic right a, paul yeah, yeah. So this is Chaos Walking. This is a sci-fi, which I've just literally just found out about just now. This is due for release in 2019. Directed by Doug Lyman, which should be interesting because he's uh, mostly a very good director. And, and Edge of Tomorrow, uh, like not so, that long ago, was, was yeah. great. Edge of Tomorrow is great. So when he turns his hand to sci-fi, with the exception of Looper, he's normally quite good. Uh, so this is Cynthia Revo in this. Uh, she is joining a car, quite a starry cast list here. We've got Tom Holland, uh, Nick Jonas, mm, Daisy Ridley of Star Wars fame, Mads Mikkelsen. Kurt Sutter, I'm assuming that is the Kurt Sutter that's behind Sons of Anarchy, so that'll be interesting. Uh, David Oriello, um, who else have we got here? Claudio Besso and Mads Mikkelsen. Mm. Um, so I don't know a great deal about this. I'm going to have a look now and see if there's any... Uh... Todd Hewitt, apparently, I'm assuming that's... The, I'm going to take a guess that's the Tom Holland character. Lives on a distant planet of New World, a new hope for humanity until struck by the noise, a virus that inflicts immersive visions of one's every thought. So the cacophony drives everyone mad until Todd makes a sudden hidden discovery. That sounds it quite does, cool. It does, man. To be and, I don't, and, and forgive um, me if yeah. you just mentioned <laughs> that it. That sounds like do, it could do be. Do you know also one of the writer credits on this movie is Charlie Kaufman? Oh, no, I did not know that. So, that so is that's very in exciting. a stable of what seems to be about six or seven different uh, writer, co writer credits, which is always a little bit alarming. Yeah. But if Charlie Kaufman's influence is anywhere on this, with Doug Lyman hopefully on good form and such a starry cast, I mean, it could be great. And like that sort of sci fi world, I think, is the kind of thing that our show will lap up. So, yeah, March 1st, 2019. UK release. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for more on Chaos, Walk Chaos Walking. 
I imagine we'll get a trailer. I would quite think soon, so. Yeah, if there's nothing so, yeah. uh, tantalisingly out there already, which I don't think there is. There is a trailer oh, out there is. already. Okay. So I don't know how I've mi- I don't know how this has passed me by. I've just looked. I've just looked. I've got my phone in front of me, and I've just looked to see if there's a trailer. Apparently, there is a tra- oh concept trailer. Possibly, we'll see. So maybe not soon. Then. Soon, if uh, not now. But yeah, if soon, if, if, if not that, now. So have a if keep that an eye pool on that doesn't sate though your appetite for sci-fi movies that star uh, Cynthia Erivo, then we have another one um, coming up, which is called ne- Needle in a Time Stack, which I just like at face value. It's um, a great yeah, title. This is about a husband whose marriage is destroyed by a time travel rival. And he will do whatever it takes to get his wife back. Uh, directed by John Ridley, who's also on co-writing duties, as well as our girl Cynthia. We have, uh, oh, one of your faves, Paul, Orlando Bloom. Uh, also <laughs> Cheers, the <laughs> radiant face of uh, Frida Pinto from uh, Slumdog Millionaire and, and elsewhere. Uh, so, yeah, some good people attached. Uh, an intriguing premise. Keep your eyes open for that one we should get on to then who else have we got here uh, elizabeth debicki right miss elizabeth let's do elizabeth debicki next so um yeah see i didn't realize until i said we looked her up beforehand that she was the the golden alien lady from guardians mm. of the galaxy 2 um that gives chase to them after rocket raccoon steals something from them um now if guardians of the galaxy 3 happens which is looking increasingly unlikely unfortunately she might be back for that uh, well i imagine she would be back for that because i think they're going to focus if you look at the post credit scene it looks like they're going to focus more heavily on i forget the race of aliens that they're called so apologies uh harder geeks than me so let me know if you know what they're called um but yes so she may be back as the golden alien lady again in guardians of the galaxy 3 and that would be great what else has she got on um other than that we've got something um from a director giuseppe capantondi capatondi who i'm desperately trying to look for information on have absolutely none right now but called uh, the burnt orange heresy this is, uh, it says here, hired to steal a rare painting from one of the most enigmatic painters of all time, an ambitious art dealer becomes consumed by his own greed and insecurity as the operation spins out of control. Uh, as well as Elizabeth Debicki, we have uh, a fella called Mick Jagger. Um, we've also got another fella called uh, Donald Sutherland attached to this. Uh, so, oh, and Class Bang, who we saw terrorising uh, okay. diners in, in the square. So, yeah, uh, things to be interested in there for sure. And, um, yeah, this one's described as an action drama thriller, but it doesn't have a firm release date yet as well as that as i desperately click through my various hundreds of windows that i've got in front of me a film called vita and virginia that i don't think has had a release yet from a director called chanya button um this one true story about the love affair between a socialite and a popular author and uh involved in this as well as debicki we have uh Gemma Arterton um and Isabella Rossellini so two like leading ladies from, from kind of well, two yeah. different generations of filmmaking who I think we're both fairly fond of so that's interesting to see we've also got um Paul this series which I believe goes out or is going out at the moment called Lovecraft Lovecraft I should say uh country and the reason this is interesting is because it, I believe, it has yeah co-creator credit for Jordan Peele. Um, so okay. again, I mean, you put certain combinations of people together, and um, you know, good things are going to come of that. I haven't caught up with any of the episodes so far. It says that there are four episodes at this point. Um, so that one, if not 
generally available right now will be available at least beginning of UK yet. 2019. Could be early 2019 so. that we get a release of that one. Yeah. Um, other than that, anything else to get to? Not on Debicki. Should we move on to Michelle Rodriguez? Let's go, Michelle, Michelle Rodriguez. So uh, I'm assuming there's another Fast and Furious film coming up. I know there is Hobbs and Shaw coming out next year, but I don't think Michelle Rodriguez is going to be in that. I would assume that when another Fast and Furious comes out, Michelle Rodriguez will play quite a big part in it. Um, she's next to be seen, and I didn't spot her in the trailer. I don't think I spotted her in the trailer. She's. I think I would imagine next to be seen in Elite Battle Angel. Yeah which is now out in February. Yeah. Um, anything else? Which is the, the latest from Robert Rodriguez based on an anime? I want to say it's based on an anime. I'm fairly confident it is. Uh, so that looks like a, a kick-ass sort of epic sci-fi with lots of special effects and lots of robots. And, the trailer's out there. And, it's and Rosa, and Rosa Salazar. Yeah. And Rosa Salazar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's kind of divided opinion, the trailer, I think. But I think it will be an impressive looking bit of um, bit of sci-fi fun, if nothing else, which Michelle Rodriguez, which Michelle Rodriguez is very, very good at and very, very suited to. So I look forward to seeing her in that. Anything else, Pete? Uh, there's a, You've got on your many, many a windows. There's series here, but it doesn't really make sense to me. There's so little detail that I don't think it's worth talking about. So yeah, focus on Fast and Furious stuff and Elite Battle Angel, I think, in the immediate future of uh, Michelle Rodriguez. And then it, it, I would be um, remiss if I didn't mention my beloved Carrie Coon and um, this little tidbit about her, which is Paul. Oh, it's an absolute doozy. Uh, so Carrie Coon is signed on to a drama without a firm release yet. But the reason to bring it up, or many reasons to bring it up, but first reason is this one's called The Nest and it's from director Sean Durkin. Paul is the director of Martha, Martha, uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, I should say. I'm so excited. I'm tripping over my words. Uh, yeah, so this is Sean Durkin here in, in proper, like, full-blown writer-director mode. And on the cast, as it stands, we have uh, Carrie Coon, we have Jude Law, we have um, anybody else of interest. A load of actors and actresses that I don't know particularly well, if I'm completely honest. But then with someone like Durkin, that makes sense because I would imagine there would be sort of star making turns in that lineup. So, um, yeah. yeah, this one says life for an entrepreneur and his American family begin to take a twisted turn after moving into an English country manor. I mean, who has ever had a bad experience moving into an old English country manor? Oh, yeah. Never happened. I feel Never like we've reviewed, reviewed a couple of films with that very premise this year, Paul. Um, <laughs> Um, yes, but anyway, you put Sean Durkin up there, you put Carrie Coon up there, and I'm already in the door. We just want to know when that's going to come out. And as soon as we know extra information on these upcoming releases, obviously, we'll throw them at you on the Strangers in the Cinema podcast. That kind of wraps this bit up, though, I think, Paul, unless you've got anything else that, that you want to get out there. No, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. So uh, it's been good to have you back, Pete. I'll, I'll be honest. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed your company this week. I've missed you. So uh, it's been nice. It's been nice. I just thought it'd be a bit of a show, a bit of emotion to listeners there for, for a moment. That did get, that did get. I mean, I'm not going to, it's not quite as emotional as, as the, the place in my soul that you hit me when you uh, read the sequence from When Harry Met Sally on stage at my wedding. And and I think... Well, I saved the, I saved the gold for our live performance. Well, well I, I think, is, so. if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Anderson, that at the time of doing that reading to the, the gathered um, masses, you actually made some eye contact with me at a particular poignant part there. I did, yes. And I think it was just too much to take. That was all intentional. Level. So, yes. so, yeah. 
Well, as I said, as you've made me cry at my wedding, so it only seems it seems just, only fair, really, to be honest. Just what we do. Really, honest, so, what we do. It, favor, it, as, so, yeah. as a bit of moonlighting, if anyone <laughs> needs, you know, somebody who can encourage them to get their inner emotions externalised, get Paul on a, or, or I or both on the job, <laughs> and we guarantee to deliver that at least some of the time. Um, apart from that, we guarantee to deliver you this show again next week. Um, excited for that, Paul. I always put you on the spot with this. Do you know what we're going to feature next week? Uh, I was having a look. We could do Overlord, which yeah, is out. It seems a uh, which is out today, I think. Um, that. And it's been getting some mostly good reviews, although Peter Bradshaw really doesn't like it and apparently doesn't like video games. So if you're listening, just read that Peter Bradshaw review shocker. of Overlord. It's one <laughs> what star. What a shocker! And he's Hold he's, the front page. he's just basically Bradshaw isn't playing. He's basically just a, a bit of a a bit of a prick to people that like don't that like video games. So I don't think mate, he's come across very mate, well in his we, reviews. We've managed honest. to do a whole episode without talking about the fact that. I have joined you in the Old West because I uh, oh, I got Red, Red Dead, Dead on Monday well. from my That's why you haven't watched any films. Don't make, yeah. don't make it up. I'm I'm really struggling because I really yeah I'm really struggling to find time to play it because I'm like I must watch films. I must. I'm the show comes first, <laughs> uh, but I'm getting more and more into the game now. So um, yeah, in fact, after this, I'm going to go and have an awkward discussion with my wife about whether I can play it now. Uh, so live yes. the dream, dude. On that Live note, the dream. We, we will be back next week, probably probably with a review of Overlord or possibly Wildlife, yeah. uh, which I think drops on Friday. But I don't know if you're not not being smug here. I don't know if you're getting it. I'm seeing it as part of Bar Film Festival, but I think it's out Friday anyway. In general you, so can't say either overlord Paul, or wildlife, you are physically but... incapable of saying the sentence i'm seeing it as part of bath <laughs> film festival without getting a little bit of residual smug but i accept it i take it on the chin and hopefully if we both don't get the chance to see it then at least you'll be able to give your your thoughts on the next episode so yeah, yeah until then yeah, yeah. uh yeah. really glad to be back excited for the coming shows and um thanks for taking the time to download this one please share it around send it to your friends tell them it's a right good podcast even if they disagree they will have downloaded it we'll get the figures and by that point we don't care anymore <laughs> So, um, yeah, I've been Pete, he's been Paul. Uh, we'll be back in a week's time. Until then, peace. Goodbye. Shut up and sit down.